thank y'all for doing that. And uh, as you're coming to your seat, I was going to let you know that uh, Donna Figurino is going to speak this morning for us, and she is our um, in charge of our women's ministry at at the uh, Harris campus, which formerly was known as the main campus. <laughs> and uh, so she's going to come and share with us today on the lively, joyful topic of debt. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that wonderful introduction <laughs> to death. <laughs> you know, last summer, um, I ran into Tammy and Heidi over at um, Tacos for Life, and they were looking at what they were going to do for this semester. And I said, hey, if you need any help, let me know. And Tammy said, will you teach? And I said, sure. Little did I know that they were going to give me death. <laughs> um, as, I, as I thought about this, I thought I am absolutely the wrong person for this. Because first of all, I, honestly, I said to the Lord, I don't have any fear of death. I really don't. Now, I have walked through death with... Um, many church members with my parents. Um, I've been privileged to be at people's sides as they took their last breath on earth. But Lord, I, I really don't have any fear of death. And as I began to prepare for this, I have lots of fears of death. And so do you. So let's pray and we'll begin. Lord God, thank you. Thank you that you are steadfast in your love for us, that you are sovereign over all of the things that go on in our lives, including death. And that, Lord, while we may have fears, certainly have fears that surround this topic, may we be reminded, oh God, we have hope. We have a guarantee. And as Christians, Lord, we don't have to fear death. So, Lord, have your way today. Teach us. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Latuya Bay is on the southern coast of Alaska, and it's a popular spot for local fishermen. It's an inlet that's about seven miles long and two miles wide, and it is surrounded, as you would expect, by picturesque, snow-capped, huge mountaintops. On July 9th in 1958, Howard Ulrich and his eight-year-old son, Sonny, were anchored in the bay after an unsuccessful day of out being out in the ocean fishing. So they settled in for the night and decided they'd wait until morning for another try. Howard Ulrich recalls that at this time of year, because of the long Alaskan days, it's still light enough to read the newspaper even until midnight. It was strangely quiet, he said. As they settled in for the evening, not even birds did he notice. They went to sleep, and around 10 p.m., he awoke when his 40-foot commercial fishing vessel, the Edry, was violently shaking. As he raced to the deck, he saw the mountains shaking and beginning to collapse all around them. Scientists say it was an 8.3 earthquake that loosened, get this, 40 million cubic yards of rock and ice from those mountains directly into the bay. The rocks, the debris, and the ice began to fall, and he said before he could even begin to make sense of what was happening, 
out of the corner of the eye, his eye, he spotted it, a wave. It's called a mega tsunami. It's not one that was caused by the force of the earthquake like one perhaps we've had in Indonesia or other places. This was caused by the displacement of water from all of the rock and debris that was coming into the inlet. He said that the wave was enormous. Scientists have said that because this wave that was coming at about 70 miles an hour directly for him and Sonny was taking off trees that were four foot in di diameter at a height of 1,700 feet. A mega tsunami, a 1,700 foot wave. To give you some perspective, if you put the Empire State Building on that shoreline, including the spire, it's 1,400 feet. I was terrified, he said. I was looking straight at death. I didn't think we had a chance. He placed a life jacket and a life preserver on little Sonny, put him in front of him at the controls of the boat, and he remembers saying, son, pray. Pray with all your might. He started the engine and tried to pull up the anchor, but the anchor was stuck because of all of the movement and the debris. He couldn't pull it up. The wave was coming and was almost on them. Having no other option, he dropped his entire anchor line, 40 fathoms of heavy chain, which is really only 250 feet. And he did the unthinkable. He turned that boat, the bow, into the wave. The anchor line was stretched tight and he said that chain snapped. He later said, God snapped that chain. He spoke into the radio phone and they recorded him saying, Mayday, Mayday. This is the Adrian Lutuya Bay. All hell has broken loose here. We've had it. Goodbye. The wall of water lifted the bow of the boat, the Edry, almost vertical, he said. As they struggled to climb on top of the wave, Howard said he could feel it pushing them back, and surely it was going to break, knocking them over top. But then he said, but God. Howard said the strangest thing. The wave started breaking everywhere except where the boat was. The boat climbed to the top of that wave. And when the wave broke, it set it right back down on Latuya Bay. Amazing. He said, by the grace of God, we survived. It was an 8.3 earthquake, and scientists say that to this day in Alaska, there has not been another mega tsunami quite like this. When we're faced with traumatic experiences, psychologists say we can have several reactions, and there are two very extreme ones. One is that you're not afraid anymore at all because you think you've somehow conquered death and you're invincible. Not a good one to have. The other is that you can have an immobilizing or a paralyzing fear of something that's going to happen. And listen, I had, as I read this, I was thinking, you know that Alaskan cruise that I've always had on my bucket list really has lost some of its appeal to me. In fact, I may not even crawl in the bathtub. 
And who could blame Howard if he never set foot in a boat again, but he said he knew he had experienced God's grace and his providence. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Psalm 139, 16. He said, the Lord knew exactly when I would be born, and the Lord knows exactly when he's going to call me home. Henry Martin said, you are immortal until God's purpose for you is complete. There's some, there's some hope in there. It's not likely any one of us are going to experience that kind of a tsunami. But what about the tsunami of cancer? What about a death in the family that you weren't expecting? What about a terrible diagnosis? The truth is, all of us are going to have some sort of a tsunami that comes into our life at some point. And almost all of them are going to be linked to a fear of death. Um, fear of death, it's in your notes, is, is a real thing. Thanatophobia a form of anxiety characterized by a fear of one's own death or the process of dying. Often we're not so much afraid of dying as what that's going to feel like or what it's going to translate into. Um, the other day I was reminded, because you know I don't have a fear of death, that's what I was telling the Lord, but I'm going down the highway with my husband down 85 and I'm seeing brake lights and you know I put that imaginary brake, anybody have that one over on the passenger side? And I may have actually even gone, <gasps> and Joe looked at me and said, what is wrong with you? Stop that. What are you afraid of? I have never put a scratch on you or a car. And I was like, I'm afraid of all the paperwork, I'm afraid of the delay, I'm afraid of the jaws of life, I'm afraid of dying, honestly. I have a fear of death, and so do you. Lauren Chandler, wife of Matt Chandler, said that when they were handed the diagnosis of Matt Chandler's brain tumor, she said, I felt like I was caught in a wave. And she said, and at that moment, God wrapped his hand around my heart and he squeezed the worship right out of it. I love that. Squeezed the worship right out of it. When we get those kinds of tsunamis, those waves that come into our lives, I think we've got to remember one thing from Howard. Turn the boat and the bow into the wave. Look at Christ, not the crisis. There was another boat that was in that inlet that day. They saw the very same thing that Howard did, but instead of riding into the wave, they tried to boogie it out, and that wave took them. It said they never recovered that boat, never recovered their bodies. We need the Lord. We need to turn to the Lord. Death is a weird thing. The anxiety of death, 
um, manifests itself in a lot of different kinds of fears. Some are rational, some are not. Fears about our safety, fears about the safety of those we love. Those are, those are legitimate fears. Fears about the way we will die. Will it be something that's peaceful or something that's painful? Fears about being alone after a spouse dies. Fears of losing a child. Fear about what happens after death. Will I be forgotten? Will I be judged? Fear that maybe my life had no meaning whatsoever. All things that we think about. Ed Welsh, the author of the book we're reading, said one of the things we value is life. So it isn't surprising that death hovers right below the surface of many fears. And our culture, ironically, has this fixation with death, and yet we're afraid of it. In his book, Remembering Death, The Surprising Path to Living Hope, Matthew McCullough, who's a pastor in Tennessee, said we're often told to focus on positive things in life. Entertaining negativity for too long can keep us from living our best life now. Perhaps this is why our culture is so confused about death. On the one hand, our Netflix selections and the latest game fad will seem, would seem that we are fascinated by death. On the other, we're terrified to let our children visit, visit the dead bedside of their dying grandmother for fear it will be a negative impact on them. Modern people are comfortable being entertained by death so long as we don't have to encounter the reality of it. So true. And so your first point today is the reality is that death is something we all sooner or later have to face. It's mysterious. It's frightening. We never know what to say when we're around death or how to act. My advice right here is just say I'm sorry and don't say a lot. It's a pain that crushes in the moment, but it lingers in our heart for an indeterminate amount of time. It's never welcome, more like an invasion or an intruder. It's inescapable death. Never easy, impossible to plan for, hard to predict. It's unnatural, but totally normal. Our second point is this, death feels unnatural because it is unnatural. Death was not part of the original plan. The second part of that is God created Adam and Eve for eternity. So when we think about death, let's go back. Let's go back to Genesis. Let's go back to the garden where there was no sickness, there was no suffering, there was no decay. Think about the fruit on my counter that decays, the way we have to live around death. That's not what Eden was like. There was no dread of the end because there was no end. There was a danger of death. Don't eat that. But the reality did not yet exist. And, you know, I can't imagine that. The rules were simple and few. Stay inside the boundary and live forever in fellowship with the Creator. Paul David Tripp said, for one horrible moment, they experienced eternity amnesia and did what most of us do every day. We live like this. The here and now is all there is. 
And from that moment, this specter of death surrounded them and they passed it on to us. Genesis 3, when we see the fall, we see that God himself makes a sacrifice. Something he made, something that was innocent, had to die so that their shame and their sin could be covered. He drove them out of Eden. They lost that place. Cain murdered his brother. And then if you'll turn with me to Genesis 5, I want you to see something. The dreaded genealogy, all those names we can't pronounce, we wonder while they're there. But they're fascinating. Chapter 5, verse 1, this is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man, and they were created. And when Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. And then I want you to notice there's a repetition in the rest of this. You find it in verse 5, verse 8, verse 11, 14, 17, do you see it? 20, 27. 31, do you see a phrase? Somebody call it out. And he died. And the author, Moses, was inspired to write this because God wants to make a point. Death is a reality now. Adam and Eve experienced that day a double death, the spiritual death that God took care of even right then by covering their sin by shedding blood and a physical death that they passed on to the rest of us. It's unnatural to us to think of death because we were wired for forever. There's a beautiful Welsh word. I love word studies. Um, I love them because most of ancient languages, Greek, Hebrew, and even the Gaelic language that, that we find here are, are Tons of words, multi-lane highways of words that paint pictures. Unfortunately, English is kind of a two-lane dirt road. We don't have near of the words. And there's this beautiful word that I read when I was studying. Um, my name is Fugarino by marriage, but I'm Welsh by my heritage, and so it was fascinating to me. It's hiriath, hiriath, and it means a longing, a homesickness a grieving or a sadness for, one was, for what once was. It's, it's a longing or a yearning that's in our soul, built inside of us. And that's why death is unnatural to us, because it wasn't supposed to be there. For the Christian, our future is not uncertain, but we need a forever perspective. So I want you to understand everything that we're talking about today, just to make sure that you're tracking with me, I'm talking to believers. This is the reality for those of us who are in Christ. It's a different reality for others. But for us, because of the work of Christ on the cross and, from, and because of his resurrection from the de dead, we have a guaranteed future. It's the promise of the empty tomb 
that everything that was broken will be restored by the, for those who have faith and believe in the saving work of Christ. So while death is a real downer, and that was part of my challenge, how do we make this a positive? We have hope. We have hope because of Christ. We have a knowledge that is sure and true that the present life we're living is not all there is. Forever is a reality. Have you ever stopped to think about forever? It is a concept that I can't grasp. I know God's word. I know it says that our life is fleeting. I know it's a little blip on a screen. I can't put my hand around forever, can you? But I think we don't think about heaven enough. We don't think about heaven. We don't think about it forever. We have that same eternity amnesia. And when the wave begins to come, we have to decide, are we going in the wave or are we going to bust out the other direction? Point number four is without, Christian, without eternity, Christianity makes no sense. Paul said it like this. I have it in your notes. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Doesn't take long for us to grasp that dread of death. You can watch the news and see the hopelessness on any given night. I think I can find about a dozen things when you either read the paper I usually read USA Today online, um, sometime you know during the day, watch the six o'clock news. You know, uh, there's E. coli and there's listeria and there's salmonella that's on our food. Um, there is a flu outbreak. There's hurricanes and there's tornadoes. There are floods. And then I came down 485 today. There are reckless drivers aiming at me. Um, there are home and there are any number of things every single day that point us to the reality of death, and yet we have hope. We have to live with a view of eternity, and that's what gives us hope. Number five says, His grace has purchased you a forever. Paul said it like this, we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, that's death. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. There's your hope. For this light momentary affliction, that's your earthly life, is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17. We don't think about heaven enough. We don't think about the gift that we've been given enough. Suffering is more bearable when you have forever on your mind. Number six. You know, sometimes death comes quickly and unexpectedly. It did for my friend Mel and Ann. On a routine Monday night, they were watching American Pickers. Mel had a bowl of Cheerios. 10 o'clock, he got up to put the cereal bowl in the sink. 
Anne said he turned and looked at her with the biggest smile, and he dropped dead on the floor. Cardiac arrest. They could not revive him. Sometimes it comes so unexpectedly. For my friend David and Gay, it was a long goodbye. It was for my mom as well. Filled with doctor's appointments, procedures, incapacitating medicine, MRIs, CAT scans, PET scans, six years of fighting. Sometimes death comes as a relief. But you know, we can accept more the death of someone who's lived a long life. I could put my mother and father's death into a perspective because they, they lived a long life. They knew the Lord. I knew where they were going. And it was just that normal process. But what of a child? I'm not naive enough to think in this room that there are people who are far more qualified to talk about loss than I am. In this fallen world, how do we reconcile what doesn't seem to be the right end of things? We turn the bow, bow into the wave, but we hold on to the truth of God's sovereignty. Your world is not out of control, but under his control. We hold onto the hope of eternity because we have a powerful, wise, and good God. And he will deliver you. Sometimes he delivers us from that tsunami just like that. It just goes away. Sometimes he will deliver us through it, walking with us as we walk through whatever that is. And sometimes we're just delivered right into his arms like Mel was. But God is sovereign, powerful, and good. Point number seven is God has written your story and is working out his plan. Wayne Grudem wrote this about God's sovereignty. Since he fully knows himself, he fully knows all things that he could have done but did not do. He knows all the things that he might have created but did not create. He also knows all possible events that will not actually happen and events that would have resulted if some other events had turned out differently in history. He's pretty smart. We try to figure him out and we cannot because he knows all things. Tim Keller put it in another way. God will only give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. Let that sit with you a minute. You know, Peter feared death. You remember? You remember in, in the beginning when, when Jesus said to him, let us go across to the other side. And they all got in the boat. Remember what Jesus did? Jesus went to sleep. 
storm came up. What did the disciples do? Panic. The wind and the waves. Scared of death. They go and they wake up Jesus. And you remember what he said, oh, you have a little faith. And he hushed the wind and the waves. What had, God, what had Jesus said to them? Let us go to the other side. He was promising them, no matter what, we're going to go to the other side. Peter, Peter heard that. Peter got scared again. You remember it was another time there's a storm and Jesus is walking on the waves. Peter said, God, call me out there. Lord. And he said, come. And he did. And he was walking with the Lord. But what did he do? Took his eyes off and he saw the waves. He saw, heard the wind. When Jesus was taken from the garden, Peter had already been told, you're going to deny me three times. No, Lord, not me. And yet, what did he do? He was afraid. He was afraid of death. And so I think that it's ironic that we, we see Peter, who was so full of fear, all of a sudden talking to us about fear. Turn your Bibles to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to do a little dissecting. I'm so much more comfortable with this. <laughs> 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter is writing to believers. In verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, that's God's great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Stop there for just a second. In his great mercy, God caused us to be born again, there's your believer, to a living hope. It, it, there's that, that tense that tells us it's an action word. It's living now and continuing to live. And we got it through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. To an inheritance. He caused us to be born again to a living hope, to an inheritance. When do you get an inheritance? Somebody has to die. You get an inheritance. My parents died. I, I inherited some things. Th those, those things that I inherited do not last. I got a car that will rust out. I got some other things that are sentimental things. They are not going to last. But this inheritance that we have, look how, it's, look how it's, it says. It's, it's imperishable. It's not going to rust. It's not going away. Heaven this inheritance that we have before us. It's imperishable. It's undefiled. There's no sin in it. You know, we said in, in Eden that there was the danger of death. Don't eat that. That's there. That'll bring death. That's in fact what happened. But when we get to this inheritance, y'all, there's no death there. There's no fear. There's no sin. There's no tears. 
there's joy, and there's rejoicing. We have an incredible inheritance, and it is unfading. In other words, it didn't start out good, and then it just kind of peters out. It is not. Eternity with this inheritance. Now wait, verse 5 is really exciting though, because if it's not exciting enough that we have a living hope, that we have an inheritance, who, that's you, by God's power are being guarded, protected, some of your um, translations may say, protected through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You're being guarded. Remember we said in the very beginning, you are immortal until God's purpose for you is complete. Whatever you are going through until God is done with you, you are immortal. You're being guarded for that future that he has for you, that guaranteed future that you have in Christ. Verse 6 says, in this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, that's our life on earth here, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Um, I teach a lady Sunday school class, a couple Bible studies, and one of the things we say in our Sunday school class is it's a long walk to heaven. That process of sanctification is long, and it's hard in our view in this lifetime. It seems like we're never going to get there. Peter says, yeah, we will. You can rejoice. So you've been grieved by various trials. There are tsunamis that are going to come. Huge waves. You turn the bow into the wave. You look for Christ and not the crisis. You trust in his sanctification. Verse 7 says, so that, there's your purpose, the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What he's talking about is that point of the completed salvation, your glorification in heaven with him forever. How often do you think about eternity in the midst of the trials? Maybe when you're facing death. Maybe when everything looks bleak. You know, if we don't look at life from the perspective of eternity, we look to people and situations for our answers. We put our faith in that anchor that man built and not the anchor to our soul. And we will live lives of worry and denial. And much of what we do is going to be motivated by fear. We know that if the tent that is our earthly home, that's our physical body, is destroyed, we have a building from God. A house not made with hands, it's eternal in the heavens, Paul said. For in this tent, this old body, we groan, 
longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. But while we're in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, that means separated by death from the body, but that we would be further clothed, and that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. We have a hope. We have an eternity. And forever, an eternity guarantees that there is a life on the other side of the wave. We don't have to fear death. Eternity can deliver your heart from fear and it can empower you to live a life of peace. That doesn't mean you're not still going to be scared. That doesn't mean you're not still going to be holding on to your children and worrying about them when they don't call. Doesn't mean you're not going to be afraid of the test result that comes. It means that when that wave comes, you face it with eternity in mind. You turn the bow. Ring out your worship and thanksgiving to the Lord. Trust in his sovereignty. And then my last point is going to be, you read the last chapter of the book. How exciting that God tells us the end from the very beginning. That we don't have to wonder. I have a quote on your, on your page. The Bible does much more than comfort us with the reality that we are not alone in our struggle. It unfolds for us God's agenda by letting us read the last chapter of God's story while we're still living in the middle of the plot. Hallelujah. We don't have to be afraid. I'm going to leave you with this. Psalm 107. Lauren Chandler said that this psalm spoke to her heart so much as she and Matt were going through um, their, their cancer scare. It says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. She goes on to say, verse 15, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, for he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. Verse 21, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Kind of have a feeling that Howard Ulrich told of his deeds with great joy. He went on to continue to captain his boat. Found his obituary. He died in 2014. That tsunami was 1958. He was still fishing. He was still waiting on the day when his immortal life was over. He had done what the Lord had for him to do. His obituary said he loved the Lord. Verse 33, he turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into salty waste. Verse 43, 
whoever is wise, let him attend to these things and let him consider the steadfast love of the Lord. We don't have to fear death. Death has already been taken care of for the believer. Read the last chapter of the book. We win. Let's pray. Oh, holy God, thank you. With great thanksgiving, we say thank you for your steadfast love that will carry us through the scary times. It'll carry us over the tsunami of death that we would be delivered from, through, or right into your hands. As Paul said, it would be better to be with the Lord. Heaven is our inheritance and our guarantee. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for giving us our son, your son. We thank you that because of him, we can have hope and we don't have to fear. We pray in his name. Amen. 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 Thank you all. You are dismissed to your room.